0: Gurave Gauracandraya Radhikaya Tadalaya Krishnaya Krishna Tathbhaktaya Krishna Namo Namo <coughs> So good morning to all of you. <coughs> Welcome again. And we are continuing with our series of lectures about three radical personalism. Yesterday, as you know, we were not able to stream due to some technical problems. So here we are back, continuing with the topic of vulnerability and empowerment. Today we will have a second part of it, speaking about the beauty and terror of inner nakedness in our sixth lecture. But as usual, let's first begin with a brief recap of what we saw last week, which uh, was the fifth lecture when we spoke about vulnerability and empowerment as well, the first part, staying strong by embracing our weakness, Mm. trying to... where we try to emphasize how vulnerability is that which will allow us to actually acknowledge, in connection to the previous class, to that one, that which will allow us to acknowledge the things that we have spoken till now, at this point in this series, that we need to change. Mm-hmm. How to embrace change, being vulnerable, opening ourselves to the possibility mm-hmm. uh, of weakness, of imperfection, uh, the potential in that acknowledging. Mm-hmm. So, this is a very important point, again, over and over again. <clears throat> I'd like to clarify, we are not doing this series to promoting to change Godi of per se, but to change the way we relate to Gaudiya Vaishnavism, to adjust our angle of vision in the words of Srila Siddhar Maharaj. Mm-hmm. Vaishnavism remains as a transcendental substance, reality. Mm-hmm. So we are to adjust and align ourselves in the best possible way. So one of the best ways for us to understand what Gaudiya Vaishnavism is about is Gaudiya Vaishnavism is all about vulnerability. Mm-hmm. But we need to acknowledge that. That's the point. Because something may have a particular constitution, but if you don't relate to that, acknowledging that, you are relating to something else in your own mind, probably. Mm-hmm. So God Innovation Vaishnavism is all about vulnerability, and therefore, of course, they're all about a potential empowerment that comes from vulnerability. Mm-hmm. We define vulnerability as emotional exposure, risk, and uncertainty. Showing up and opening ourselves to that. And we find these features in our tradition from beginning to end. What to speak of the very founder of the Gaudiya Sampradaya Sriman Mahaprabhu. He is a prime example of this vulnerability and empowerment. Mahaprabhu exposing himself emotionally to Radha's Bhav, a project which entails in itself risk, what will happen to Krishna, but tasting Radha's heart and uncertainty, Krishna himself being curious and not knowing what's, what doesn't mean to see himself through the eyes of her love. So all these three main ingredients that make for vulnerability are present in the highest form in the gore <clears> of <throat> Again, the most vulnerable face of the absolute, but the most empowered one, golden volcano of divine love. Mm. So then we share some other examples that we will find throughout our literature, like are at the beginning of the Gita, mm, totally in the floor, throwing Gandiva, mm, being vulnerable and open for empowerment, Parikshit embracing uh, <coughs> death, which makes us the most vulnerable. Draupadi being undressed and extending her two arms, accepting her vulnerability and being empowered by Srihari. Mm, the Gopis running after the flute call, mm, in total abandon, risk, uncertainty. In other traditions, even we went beyond that, Christ being on the cross, a very vulnerable moment, but also empowered one. And even in our human history in famous situations like Auschwitz, where you feel the worst possible thing, but by properly addressing that and acknowledging that empowerment is coming also. We also connected this with the third verse of Shikshastaka, with forgot this is kind of our golden rule, which also speaks about vulnerability and eventually the corresponding empowerment. Today we will continue unfolding more about this. Uh, we also clarify in our l- previous lecture that we cannot actually be vulnerable, or do vulnerability, or engage in it, but actually we are vulnerable as part of our very constitution. We are vulnerability, embodied vulnerability, if you will. We are tatasta tatasta Shakti. <clears throat> So it's important to understand that not, this is not something that, okay, I will choose to be or not to be vulnerable. No, you choose to acknowledge or not acknowledge the fact that you are vulnerable. So here we are trying to share some ideas so we can acknowledge that with a smile, if you will, and like open to the prospect of that acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. We also emphasize the importance that we will continue doing so today, the importance of boundaries establishing proper boundaries when expressing about vulnerability. So vulnerability does not lend itself to abuse. Mm. We also mentioned how actual vulnerability is synonymous with courage. No, you cannot be courageous if you are not exposing yourself to, again, emotional exposure, risk, and certainty. So there are, one thing is taken to another, courage, being in this case also connected with the idea of empowerment, facilitated by vulnerability. You cannot be a courageous person, a hero, an ayaka, in our aesthetic language, without vulnerability first.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Of course, the opposite of that is a face of toxic masculinity which will promote a fake sense of bravery or courage, but which is not embracing vulnerability.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Another definition that we share from vulnerability, mm-hmm. from Brené Brown, was that having the courage to show up and be seen when we have no control over the outcome which again is connected with the idea of courage, with the idea of showing, exposing ourselves, mm. in our nakedness that we will speak, continue speaking today. We related this, this with the first three steps of the 12-step system, which had to do with acknowledging our powerlessness mm. and trusting that there is a higher power and allowing ourselves to be empowered by that power. Mm. And showing up, but having the courage to show up in the arena of life, if you will, for whatever battle we are being called to. Mm -hmm. And if some people choose to criticize us for whatever we are doing in our life, in our arena, how we are choosing to battle, it's important that uh, that criticism has to come from a place of empathy, for it to be actually accurate in our present situation. For those who are willing to enter the arena and acknowledge our particular experience from a close proximity, and thereby share extend some objective, realistic uh, opinion or advice about us or or reality in itself.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Then we've introduced the idea of vulnerability as inner nakedness, mm, as revealing our hearts to trustful souls, sadhus, personalities, and emptying ourselves like a bamsi, like Krishna's flute, which has to be hollow for Krishna's breath, breath, air, and will to sound through. Mm -hmm. And in that connection, we, we also connected this with the idea of darshan, of presenting ourselves unto Bhagavan and being seen as we are, naked, if you will, fragile as whatever we are, through the eyes of unconditional love. Remember this idea here, to see ourselves through the eyes that we are being seen by Bhagavan. We gave a homework, also for those who <clears throat> wanted to engage in it, Which type of vulnerability mm, do you need to embrace today as an individual, that was the question, to invoke the necessary empowerment tomorrow mm, for you and and the sampradaya. mm. So that was basically the homework, I hope you may have had some interesting time for reflecting on this, introspection, insight, epiphany. And today we will continue extending this idea, since this is a very important topic that requires at least more than one class. So we will continue talking today about how beautiful vulnerability is, and of course its corresponding empowerment, but also how and why we are maybe still terrified about them. So that's why we have named today's class like the beauty and terror of inner nakedness. So in one sense vulnerability, inner nakedness is something completely charming, but also we may feel still and terrified about that. So that's the beauty and terror of inner nakedness we are referring to. So let's introduce today's lecture with a brief explanation, unpacking of of this subtitle of today's talk. Mm -hmm. Continuing, again, we are continuing with the idea of inner nakedness, expressed in the previous lecture, uh, through concepts like darshan and revealing our mind and so on. And as you may have seen again in in, in the flyer for today's lecture, for those who who saw it, we chose to connect the title with a particular image, in this case the famous Bastra Harana Lila, or the Lila in which Krishna steals the clothes of the gopis. And somehow we could say the gopis are somehow forced by Krishna in the context of the Lila, in the unfolding of the Lila at one point, they are forced by the force of love, to present themselves naked in front of Him, to leave the, the river where Krishna, while him Himself is standing on the tree with the clothes, says, if you want the clothes, you have come to Me, one after another, and they come naked, covering their private parts. And Krishna says, well, you have offended the river by bathing naked there. So in order to be, like, transcending, to, to, be, to counteract the offense, the apparatus you have committed, You have to take your two hands, with which the gopis were covering their intimate parts, and offer pranam, putting them above your heads. In other words, they all show themselves fully naked in front of Krishna. So, Krishna wanted, he asked why he asked that. Of course, there are many levels and layers of significance and meaning. But Krishna, we could say in the context of this conversation, Krishna wanted to appreciate the full beauty and nakedness of the gopis. Not only partial nakedness that were, was already in place, but full nakedness. Mm? Which of course, again, we are not here limiting the thing to a physical contemplation or something like that. This is spiritual dealings, bear that in mind. So we could say that this idea of Krishna taking pleasure, deriving pleasure for contemplating the full nakedness of the Gopis, Again, it's an idea that points to the idea of full vulnerability, full nakedness it needs to be in place for full empowerment or beauty to happen. Mm-hmm. So Krishna wants to see full beauty, but for that first there, there had to be inner nakedness. So first vulnerability, nakedness, then empowerment, beauty. Mm-hmm. And for Krishna to be attracted to see us, remember the idea of Darshan, which is not seeing ourselves, but being seen by Krishna. So what will make Krishna attracted to see us as much as we present ourselves naked in front of him and again nakedness is not something limited to external clothes but mostly of course exclusively connected to the idea of inner nakedness <clears throat> we are not promoting him degraded physical nudity if you will in this case so in that's idea you know, krishna is attracted to contemplate and empower the gopis only after seeing their full nakedness so in the same way for krishna to be attracted to see us we have to present ourselves naked, inner, innerly naked, mm. darshan. So that's why we have chosen to, uh, to include this image in today's flyer. Mm. Again, first, we can, we can only offer ourselves to Krishna completely by first allowing ourselves to be seen mm. by him completely and showing up with full vulnerability. And try to connect all the points we have been sharing till now. In complete nakedness showing up, having the courage to show up naked, in front, of course, of Bhagavan. Mm-hmm. One of the main lines when defining what's bhakti in our tradition says, mm-hmm. Sarvopadhi bhakti vinir mm-hmm. so, Sarvopadhi vinirmuktam means somehow getting completely freed from all types of designations, limiting adjuncts. Mm-hmm. In other words, Getting totally free from all false designations is embracing full nakedness, getting rid of all these false designations. Mm.
1: Mm.
0: Because, again, false designations have to do with false ego, false sense of identity, mm. different layers of covering. Mm. And even we could say, when we, someone would say, well, but I still have upatis, I still have this designation, so what will be my nakedness in that case? I cannot kind of just press a button and transcend Upadis. So inner nakedness, in that case, for most of us, will mean, well, we may still have Upadis, so then our nakedness will consist of presenting ourselves as naked as we can in relation to those Upadis. As naked in the sense of at least a sincere and honest and vulnerable in acknowledging we have those, accepting those designations that we need to transcend, not over-identifying with them, showing ourselves in the way we are today, but having clear the prospect of where we would like to be. Mm-hmm. And all of that will help us to eventually transcend and properly integrate all of this to become fully offerable, offer- offerable to become ourselves fully offerable mm-hmm. to Sri Hari. And in this Vastra Harana Lila, <clears throat> again, going back to this divine play for a moment, the gopi's vulnerability or the gopi's nakedness
1: mm-hmm.
0: is what actually empowers them. Interestingly. Try to bear in mind this connection, vulnerability, and empowerment. Remember what why the Gopis engaged in all this Katyaani Brat that converges in this stealing of the clothes. The Gopis wanted to have Krishna as their husband.
1: Mm.
0: That's the type of empowerment, if you will, they want to attain. And that happened. And how that happened? When that happened, that happened, they attained Krishna as their husband exactly as an immediate consequence of their nakedness
1: mm-hmm.
0: there's an immediate correlation between the two why because it is said in Vedic tradition only husband can see his wife naked so by by the Gop by Krishna seeing the gopis fully naked immediately Krishna was fulfilling their desire of having him as their husband because he was seeing them naked and immediately only a husband can see wife naked therefore you are my wives mm-hmm. so The knew the the nakedness immediately was connected with the empowerment. The vulnerability immediately converged into the type of desired result and empowerment, the gupis Mm were. In other words, the very act of vulnerability, the very act of inner nakedness, immediately created its corresponding empowerment. Mm -hmm. Again, Krishna accepting them, or Krishna accepting us, as much as we present with inner nakedness. Mm -hmm. So some words in connection to the Vastra Haran and Lila, the image we chose to share today and the subtitle of today's lecture, The Beauty and Terror of Inner Nakedness. We speak about we spoke about beauty mostly now, let's go to the terror part <laughs> because despite we all, all we have already said about the beauty and empowerment, the vulnerability we have said a few nice things hopefully, but probably we may be still afraid of that of embracing vulnerability. So let's continue Next, uh, demystifying, if you will, some further false notions that we may still be entertaining about vulnerability. Mm. So let's continue with the next section, trying to unfold why we are still afraid of vulnerability. Despite the beauty, the charm, the glory hmm, of this paramount virtue, So even if in theory you have accepted all the points that we have shared till now and in the last lecture, probably there is something inside of us that makes us not fully yet like the word vulnerability and even be terrified by its prospect. Mm -hmm. So it's important to ask ourselves why I don't like this. The fact that we don't like something doesn't mean that it's bad or that that it's unhealthy. We won't like most medicine. (laughs) It it may not be tasty, but it doesn't mean that it's not helping us, curing us, saving us. So why we don't like vulnerability? At least on the degree we may still dislike it. So of course we are unique individuals, so there is no one single reason that will reply to this question and be equally applicable to everyone. There may be endless possible reasons for why each particular person still dislikes vulnerability in its prospect. Mm -hmm. But let's share a classical one, a classical example of this. Probably we don't like vulnerability because, again, still we are embracing a false idea of that, a folk lore, a false tale. Mm -hmm. Uh, We are relating vulnerability still with excruciating shame, fear, disconnection.
1: Mm. Mm.
0: well, of course, our life purpose is the opposite of that, mm. Mm. to feel connected. Mm. Indeed, that's yoga. Mm. Yoga means the capacity of being connected, mm. the experience of connectedness. And Bhakti Yoga in particular points to connectedness in, in its utmost form, mm. of course, in the form of devotion and divine love. But again, we have already seen how vulnerability is intimately tied with this idea of connectedness is an integral part of bhakti and therefore it's an integral part of connectedness of bhakti, of yoga so we should stop relating vulnerability with lack of connection actually it's the exact opposite but again, even if if in theory we understand that which is maybe an important beginning step our fear may still persist still we may be Afraid of showing ourselves, of showing up, as we mentioned, and having the courage to show up, to present ourselves as vulnerable, or to realize ourselves how vulnerable we are, how easily affected we may be, or, 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 or better or terrified about other people looking into that. And I remember one art art performance done by Marina Abramovic, one artist from Europe, and basically it consisted of herself sitting. And looking in right into the eyes of other people and vice versa for some long period of time, generally as much as they were able to sustain that situation. And that was a very moving experience for most. People crying, people like not being able to sustain that different people. Mm-hmm. But the idea was to look themselves at the eye and try to relate as deeply as possible. Mm-hmm. And we see that generally that's not so easy to do. Again, because vulnerability at one point starts to to show up. Mm-hmm. So that creates a terrifying prospect for some, sometimes because of lack of confidence in ourselves or, or, or being afraid of the influence of the environment because of some <coughs> past experiences which were not very much, very auspicious, if you will. But please, we have to remind, and we already mentioned that last class, but we can say it again. The problem with vulnerability, or I will say the only apparent problem <coughs> with being vulnerable is connected with those moments where we expose our weakness in the wrong environment, in front of the wrong person, in front of someone who is not able to value and appreciate and even honor and nourish our vulnerability, mm-hmm. our wounds. Mm-hmm. And to, of course, acknowledge that I'm also vulnerability, vulnerable as that person. It's not just that the other person is vulnerable, as we already mentioned. So it's very important, remember this, vulnerability has to have proper boundaries for it not to lend itself to abuse. Vulnerability without boundaries uh, is not vulnerability, Mm. it's abuse. Mm.
1: Mm.
0: So it's very important, of course, again, we may have past traumatic experiences of abuse and that freezes us in, in our next attempt to open ourselves, but at the same time there is a need for that. And of course that will be facilitated the more we are in touch with what we may call unconditional love. When we get to know people or we get a glimpse of our relationship with with the Supreme, how we can be loved despite who we are, despite our imperfection, despite our weakness, we are being loved, not because of our quote-unquote perfection, but despite of it. So, the more we get in, cl- in touch with the experience of unconditional love, and it's possible there's people over there who can open that portal for us if we are sincerely looking, <clears throat> the more the actual fruit of vulnerability, <clears throat> which is empowerment, will come to our lives. <clears throat> and of course, we should be careful with extremes as well. Hmm? Not to go to the ex- to the point of, I won't be vulnerable to anyone. I won't open myself to anyone. And I start to develop apathy, universal apathy for everyone, and rejecting and not caring. When we stop caring about what people think at all about us, every single person, we fall into some kind of universal apathy and indifference. And that's not healthy either because we are relational beings. We lose our capacity for connection. But when we are to the other extreme of the spectrum where we are uh, defined fully defined with only what people think like we are putting some picture on Instagram and just how many depending on how many likes and favorable commenters we have we will be happy or not on that day if we are defined to that level Mm. we lose our capacity to be vulnerable also because you are not putting boundaries there Mm. so we need to balance these two extremes if you will
1: Mm.
0: be vulnerable but in front of the right people. There has to be someone else. It's not this full apathy, nobody can understand me. I want to open my my heart to anyone, no. But not to the point I'm open myself and reveal my mind and share every single thing that's going on online and be defined and validated or whatever by whatever anyone says. So if you haven't found the right people yet, keep looking for them. They exist. So you can express your heart in front of the right people and be properly vulnerable. Another way to speak about what, what vulnerability is and what vulnerability is not <clears throat> is, could be in terms of something we already described in previous lectures, the idea of belonging and the idea of fitting in, by all, opposite to that. So vulnerability, of course, is related uh, to being seen, again, to showing up, allowing ourselves to be seen, and allowing for deep belonging. Well, fitting in is the exact opposite, if you will, which implies avoiding to be seen and, and assessing and acclimating, creating a facade, and so on. So fitting in is basically constantly being thinking, okay, here's what I should say. Now you have your script. Here's what I shouldn't say so to be accepted. And here's what I should dress like, like look like, think like. And so you like confirm yourself to a set of values, quote-unquote, that imposed values or from to status quo, whatever, just to fit in. So that's fitting in, but that's not you. That's the point. As long as you speak about, I should do this, I should do that to fit in, that's not you. That's a good way of measuring that. And once Trappist monk Thomas Keating, he said, like, if you think you should, then don't do it. In this context, of course. Why, he say because... If you just act on the basis of what you should do, that's an acculturated sense of self, he said. That's not you. Mm. In contrast, again, to this should, to this fitting in, deep belonging mm, implies belonging to yourself first. Not in an egocentric way, as we already clarified, but learning to belong to yourself as who you are. And you are not a separated personality isolated from the rest of reality from your center so you have to learn to belong to yourself first speaking your truth and telling your story remember we are talking about radical personalism here and never ever betraying yourself for other people betraying yourself is basically the most painful and dreadful i will say thing you could ever do so don't do that Let's not do that, although we may still do that on a daily basis. And that's that's really painful, and we have to learn to acknowledge that and, and continue growing. So true, true belonging doesn't require you to change who you are. <clears throat> that's fitting in, remember. Adjusting, acting, performing. Mm-hmm. True belonging doesn't require, does not require you to change who you are. It actually requires you to be who you are. <laughs> Which again, although it's more natural, more organic, more real, generally it's more difficult mm. for us. Because so many things in between, as we already explained. So true belonging is not expecting, again, some facade. It's not requiring be something else. Actually, true belonging is be who you are and all that you can be. Mm. And that, of course, be who you are means be totally vulnerable in the context of today's topic. That's part of who we are, be vulnerable. Be vulnerable because you are vulnerable, accept that,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and maybe that may be again, that's totally vulnerable to be who you are and that's maybe totally terrifying, but beautiful, mm-hmm. don't let the terror completely mm-hmm. stop you if you will, like Srila will say, like suspicion leads to suspension, don't be suspended by extreme fear, extreme doubt. So in this true belonging, which again is filled with vulnerability, You are going to learn about blind spots mm, that you didn't know, that you and others had. mm, True belonging shows up all this stuff.
1: Mm,
0: But that's totally fine. Again, that's not something not to see. That's something totally expected and needed. So it's required for any substantial interaction in life. If you don't find those blind spots in you and others, you you cannot speak about deep connection. In other words, if it doesn't feel vulnerable, the sharing you are having is probably not constructive. That's a good way of putting it. If it feels vulnerable, there is some real stuff going on. And again, it's difficult. I'm not saying, I'm not using the word easy here. But as we always say, difficult is just the middle point. Difficult is not the opposite of easy. The opposite of easy is impossible. Difficult is the middle point between easy and impossible, the middle path. And we always want to thread the middle path, back to the middle path. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And sometimes, of course, this difficult thing, to be vulnerable, may be made even more difficult, not impossible, but a little bit more difficult, by the external environment itself.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Because sometimes we, we build cultures where there is zero tolerance for vulnerability but the promotion is a false sense of strength, courage, perfection, bravery, security. Mm. So there's zero tolerance for someone who happens to show up in a vulnerable state, acknowledging that, where perfectionism uh, <clears throat> and having armors around us constantly are rewarded even, are praised, are, ne- are deemed necessary. Mm. If, if those things, if those are the norm, There probably we can have these deep conversations because they won't be productive for the consideration of of the people. But of course, the price for that is that we will miss deep belonging as well. So we will end up in a very superficial culture, a very superficial level of relationships. And that's why, of course, in many ways, people is depressed more than ever. People take to drugs and suicide more than ever and so on. Because we are not experiencing fulfillment through depths in our connection with reality. And again, vulnerability is a crucial word, and not only a word, for sure, to create the necessary change in this connection. So, going back to us as Gaudiya going going back to us as part of a tradition, who is part of this world, if you will, how much as a tradition... We can ask this, how much of the tradition we have been successful, quote unquote successful, in building these unnecessary walls of perfectionism and armor and zero tolerance for vulnerability and false sense of strength and perfection. How much successful would have been in building these walls. Or probably these walls were actually necessary at some time as a survival instinct for in whatever situation. But probably now they need to be demolished how much this is required again this is a question for all of us to engage in and in the case we realize that we ourselves always begin at home have built a whole armor or probably a whole army <laughs> in some cases against vulnerability if, in case we happen to have a glimpse of that then we must exercise our courage our curiosity our creativity and go beyond those walls of bias of fear, of shame and guilt and venturing into the wild, so to say the words of Brene Brown, she will say we have to brave the wilderness that's an interesting expression in this connection we have to properly enter into that desert into that unknown land in the context with full inner nakedness, so we can express proper courage and tame the beast, if you will, until our heart is marked by the while, until our souls are properly affected by the unknown, again, by the liminal space where all growth happens outside of the comfort zone. So, of course, we are part of something bigger than ourselves, <coughs> But also we should be able to to have to stand, to have the courage to stand alone at times. Alone, quote-unquote, we are never alone. But to enter into those moments of navigating, we should not only learn to navigate the wilderness, we should become the wilderness, even. That will have to be integrated to the point of being second nature in us. And again, all this sounds beautiful and poetic, (laughs) But in practical terms, when the tests come, knock our doors in life, sometimes may still feel intimidating. Maybe not terror, but intimidating, let's say. So why? Let's continue go, going back and forth and try to reply this possible question. So let's go to the next section about how to deal with shame, guilt and ego. All these ingredients that get in the way of the full experience of vulnerability and empowerment. Mm -hmm. So the more we insist on vulnerability, probably, hopefully not, but probably the more afraid we may still feel. Mm -hmm. But we need to keep pushing Mm
1: -hmm.
0: till we have the required epiphany to embrace this quality of vulnerability. Again, if it gives us terror but we know it's good, there's no actual danger, we should keep pushing in a sustainable way in the direction of embracing this. In some cases, vulnerability is terrifying because of shame. We feel too embarrassed, again, to allow others to witness our wounded, woundedness as humans. And our inner critic, you know, this mental voice that may be sometimes like uh, almost devouring our whole inner self, many, many times clings onto shame guilt, comparison, to cancel every possibility of genuine vulnerability to be expressed. This we call ego as well, this false self, sense of self. So when shame, guilt and comparison with others happen in between, appear in the scene, if you will, genuine vulnerability is almost impossible to be expressed. In Christianity, this is clearly depicted From the beginning of times, how Christians depict the beginning of times in in some metaphorical way with the Adam and Eve mm, story. So after biting the apple, as you already may know, which represents the dualistic mind, the calculative mind, mm, which creates self-awareness, self-consciousness. Adam and Eve before that they were not self-conscious, and they were naked and everything was okay, as we know. The first thing that happens to Adam to happen to Adam and Eve after biting the the, the apple is that they became aware of themselves and noticed, oh, we are naked. They left self forgetfulness, if you will. Paradise was depicted as a place of self forgetfulness, when nobody is aware of themselves, but dedicated in love in other directions. That's the main point here, but. You became aware of yourself. You are brought back to that consciousness. Oh, I'm naked. Which again, nakedness represents vulnerability. So Adam and Eve realize we are naked. We are vulnerable, which means we are potentially easily damaged. So again, shame starts to crawl there. So that's the price of self-consciousness, if you will. That you will know how and where you can be hurt. Because you become aware of your own vulnerability. We know how we are naked. And we know how that nakedness can be exploited.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And of course that means. That we also know how others are naked. And how others can be exploited as well. Mm-hmm. And that can create lots of problems. Of of, of course lots of solutions. If problem if properly addressed. If properly dealt. You know, this nakedness is properly appreciated and dealt with. But unfortunately sometimes we end up making a mess of nakedness so then what Adam and Eve do immediately interestingly they realize their nakedness their fragility <clears throat> their vulnerability they immediately make themselves loincloths to cover up the fragile bodies to cover up the weakness to cover up the vulnerability to protect their egos
1: mm-hmm.
0: and they quickly hide after doing that that's not enough to hide your vulnerability with clothes with some makeup and facade they themselves hide shame <clears throat> guilt probably feeling unworthy to stand before god who appears on the scene they feel for most people the idea here is for most people they feel unsettled by their vulnerability and they fear to walk with god because they feel themselves so unworthy of that by by connecting with their vulnerability and see God's position. The contrast between the divine and us as vulnerable beings is too embarrassing to bear for most. We may not be aware of that directly, but that's there. Like when someone buys a house, (coughs) and you will pay to an inspector to list all the faults of the house, all the bad news, so to say. And you need to know them. Because you are you are not able to fix something if you don't know it's broken.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So you need to know how the house is broken so you can fix the house. So now extend the idea to yourself. Mm-hmm. You can fix you cannot fix something if you don't know it's broken. And we are broken,
1: mm-hmm.
0: whether we are admitted or not. On one level or not, there is woundedness. There is brokenness. Again, there are things to heal and to fix. Mm-hmm. And again, that can be extremely difficult and painful to acknowledge, to make the list of things that need to be redeemed. But we have to. <coughs> now We shouldn't be paralyzed, again, by sh- fear, shame, and guilt when addressing that list. So where to begin? A good point to begin so we find some hope, some encouragement, some courage. Hmm? Interestingly, the word encouragement... Includes the word courage in it. Mm. And you remember, courage is preceded first by vulnerability. Vulnerability, courage, and encouragement, if you will. So where to begin? Mm. And not be paralyzed in, in our attempt to do so. A good point to begin to counteract this pattern mm, of, of shame and guilt when when realizing our weaknesses, as I already mentioned, and I will mention it again with with or without your permission, is to become aware of how Krishna loves us unconditionally.
1: Mm.
0: How that unconditional love is there to begin with. Mm. As a prerequisite, no matter who who we are, what we do, unconditional love is there because its it's nature is unconditional. Mm. Including all the above-mentioned messiness, unconditional love keeps flowing and knocking our doors. And as we mentioned, we should learn to see ourselves through those eyes, through that gaze, the gaze of unconditional love, mm, through which Bhagavan is looking at us mm, in a gentle way, intimate way, tender way, personal way, mm, right from the heart, mm, the most intimate chamber there. So it's important to discipline our mind to remain aware of the things. Sometimes it's not enough to hear them once in a, in a while, but on a daily basis to again, discipline our mind through practice, through prayer, and so on, to go in that direction, to remain aware and not be distracted from that ultimate reality. Mm -hmm. So in God's presence, and of course that's always, just in case, 24-7, everything is transparent in our life. Mm -hmm. That's Darshan, again, remember, Darshan could be defined at that as remaining aware... I'm always in, in Bhagavan's in the presence of God, in, in so many forms that it may take. So everything is transparent. I am transparent. I cannot hide anything. Nothing can be ultimately hidden. No need to hide. No need to follow the footsteps of Adam and Eve. But instead, the, instead of needing to hide, I need to show up. That's Darshan, again. I need to be seen, trusting in that gaze. So remember, Krishna knows everything about us, all our weakness, brokenness, sinfulness. And He still loves us unconditionally. So that's real love. That's unconditional love. This is not like a romantic tale. This is for true. This is real. But we have to become aware of such presence, such love. And the more we become aware, and that's sadhana, sadhana in one sense, to think about Krishna is not just to think about Krishna in a literal way, like blue face and peacock and flute, but to become aware of the reality of his presence in my daily life, in whatever moment I am, to become aware of such divine presence, such divine (coughs) unconditional love, this totally healing, strengthening, transforming, refreshing, whatnot. And again, that's what Sadhana is about, our practice, daily practice, uh, is to train and discipline our minds mm. to not be distracted from this extraordinary daily miracle. Mm. When Krishna says, man mana, think about me, this is one of the many ways, of course, we can think about him.
1: Mm.
0: How God's presence is all-pervading in my daily life, and that presence is there through the principle of unconditional love, and I'm being seen, considered, appreciated, embraced through that principle only, from God and His agents. That's a daily miracle that we should remain aware of. The moment we become distracted of that problem come.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So try to see yourself having bearing in mind how God is seeing yourself. John of the Cross, a famous Christian mystic, he will say that very beautifully. He say, Love what God sees in you. <clears throat> try to ruminate on these few lines, few words. Love what God sees in you. God is seeing something in you, which He finds lovable. Again, through the eyes of unconditional, you may say, generally we will say, no, 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 it's not possible. There's nothing in me that is worthy of being loved by God. Who am I? I'm just a wretch. But nonetheless, the principle of unconditional love will love, despite of what may be there, or maybe not. So He's seeing something in us that He finds lovable. And we should learn to love that thing, that love that God is seeing in us, and God is loving in us. Again, it's not our own merit. It's not something to to boast about and feel proud about. It's something totally humbling, if you properly understand this idea. This is the most humbling thing you can ever possibly think of. That you have been totally loved to begin with, without doing anything, being a mess, <laughs> and that love is still there and keeps coming. So, the most generous thing, humble thing, ungrateful thing you can do is to reciprocate with that by first of all allowing that love, that vision through which God is seeing you, and seeing yourself through that vision as well. Mm-hmm. That will be humbling again that won't, won't be a complacent, mediocre way of dealing with yourself, laziness or so on that's really committing mm-hmm. so love what God sees in you and learn to see your, to see yourself. Through God's eyes. Because you are not separated from that vision. From that gaze. But many of us never go there again. Why? Because to be loved in that way. To be seen in that way. Is to live in the naked now. Fully naked. The words of Richard Rohr in one of his books. The naked now. In the full presence. Present moment. Fully naked. That's that's the only place and moment. That you can actually understand and experience how god is looking at you and loving you unconditionally the way you can get to that beautiful experience is you have to enter that space present moment full inner nakedness and many of us again never want to go there because of all these misunderstandings about vulnerability mm-hmm. to to live in the naked now it's indeed a quite naked moment it's not just something that we do once in a while but try to live in that moment mm-hmm. And they never, ever forget Bhagavan, especially our Bhagavan, if you will, Gaur Hari, Sri Chaitanya Dev. he's extremely grace, grateful, merciful, generous, he's non-judgmental, he's self-giving, he's seeking no reward, that's unconditional love, boundless in compassion, brimming, overflowing with generosity. So we should learn to see ourselves through his own eye, through all these qualities and virtues that flow from his eyes. Mm. To put it in another way, what I let God see and accept in me also becomes, by extension, what I can see and accept in myself. Mm. I will repeat it because I think, again, it's a worthy meditation of this idea what I let God, Krishna Bhagavan, see and accept in me, also becomes what I can then see and accept in myself.
1: Hmm.
0: So That's real nonviolence and self-esteem in the context of devotional culture. And even more, not because it's not only about God and me, like, like nobody else is existing, but even more, it becomes that through which I see everything else. Not only, okay, God is seeing me in this way, and I see myself as that. Yeah, but also God is seeing everyone else through those same eyes. He's seeing you, and therefore you should treat everything and everyone else, not only everyone else, but everything else, through, through how God is looking at everything. Again, all through the eyes of mercy. We can call this radical grace. And only radical grace will be perceived only through radical vulnerability first. Only by showing up in inner nakedness. And this is exactly why it is crucial. To allow God and at least one other person, hopefully, (laughs) in our lives and more of course, if that's available, to see us in our imperfection and even in our nakedness as we are, rather as we will ideally like to be. Because that's idealistic, that's our imagination, if you will. But what's reality? And this is also why we must give others the same experience. Extend that to others. If you have had some of that, of this experience, extend that to others by being looked upon in their imperfection. Allow other people to be seen by you in their imperfection and be loved despite that. Because if this is not happening, that people will never know. The, the essential, the utterly transformative power and mystery of costless mercy.
1: Mm.
0: When there is real unconditional love and costless mercy, epiphany is there, transformation is there. That's real conversion. Mm. It's not carrying a card car, mem, hard, carrying member of an institution. Conversion has to do with, with this type of connection. Mm. So that's a way to, to, to do away with shame. No, shame cannot survive empathy. It is say. So, where Euler you dispose yourself to be empathic? There's no place for shame, guilt, and all this stuff. So, to begin with, we should become aware of Bhagavan's empathy and his agents, his representatives' empathy in relation to us, and gradually extend that. How we relate well with ourselves, extend that patterns in how we relate to other people as well. So, a few thoughts about also trying to deal with guilt, shame, and ego, and so many other things. Let's continue, bear with me, more few words on the charm and beauty of radical vulnerability. Let's go back from shame, guilt, and ego, to the beauty and charm of this virtue. So with this this in mind, we need to expose ourselves and others to, again, healthy and sustainable doses of vulnerability, so we can become stronger and stronger. Remember, empowerment and empowerment come from vulnerability. Mm -hmm. The opposite of that, of of not allowing ourselves to be exposed to vulnerability will be akin to some type of overprotection syndrome, Mm -hmm. like overprotecting a child by not allowing uh, the child to interact with the dangerous, quote-unquote, world, so he won't be damaged by it, like a mother say, oh no, so many dangers are there, so better I keep my child... uh, in, in a room and he will be protected but the problem is yeah he will be protected from certain things but you will end up making him a robot or a monster and therefore destroying him
1: mm-hmm.
0: so the child indeed a child a baby young boy especially or girl they won't be as cute and, and lovable if they will not be fragile and vulnerable that's what makes a baby especially charming such a vulnerable situation of such a fragile being prone to illness Pain and so many overwhelmings. Mm. So, in other words, the bol- the most vulnerable will become, the more charming and attractive will become. Famous example I already shared in the past of Superman in the in the series, in the comic series, Superman in the U.S. In the beginning, Superman was depicted as basically Superman, literally, he nobody can kill him, nobody can do any harm to him. He's totally imbul- non-vulnerable. Mm. Uh, so the point is that in, as in some time the readers of the series were losing interest in this. They were becoming boring because he was so incredible and perfect and not vulnerable that the series will its, was losing char, its charm. So what they did do, they introduced in time this idea of kryptonite or kryptonite, whatever you pronounce it in English, this blue, green stuff that called kill even or maybe weakened super, Superman, so people got interested again in the series and the numbers of people reading increased again. Because now Superman was vulnerable. You know? So that made him more relatable and more charming. Because if not, you cannot do anything because you are super powerful. A superhero who cannot who can't do anything turns out turns on, turns out to be no hero at all. Because he has nothing to strive against. You know? So he can he cannot be admirable. You follow. Remember the idea in our tradition, we have the notion of Nayaka, or the hero. But for a hero to be a hero, he has to be vulnerable first. So then, we can even extend this analogy, not only limited to Superman, of course, or to us. You can connect that with God himself, as we already touched upon that. And this is, again, part of the charm and beauty of vulnerability. God himself. In God, vulnerability not only something desirable, But we could say ontologically necessary. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So how does this happen? How does God need ontologically to be vulnerable? (laughs) This will be a very Godian notion, of course, as you may imagine. So there's an old Jewish story mm, whose beginning is structured like a Zen koan, like Buddhist Zen koan, this kind of small phrases. So the, the phrase says, imagine a being... Who is omniscient, omnipresent and omnipotent, so what does such a being lack? you may think nothing. he's omniscient, omnipresent, he has everything. so there's an answer nonetheless to that that person lacks limitation. there is a lacking there. so if you are already if you are already like general idea of God is there, you are everything, you are everywhere, you are always present. You are always there. There's nowhere to go. There's nothing to be, nothing to do. Mm. So you become quite a boring person. (laughs) Everything that could be already is in that person. Everything that could happen has already happened. Mm. And it is for this reason, at least according to the Jewish story, they say that because of this reason, God created man. He invoked limitation. Because if there's no limitation, there's no story to tell. Mm. Of course, we Gaudias have our own story mm. Mm, of God and limitation without even the need to invoke human creation for God to be limited, mm. Mm, but mostly in connection to God's Nara Lila or human-like uh, Lila, which of course, again, is the most vulnerable, most charming, but most vulnerable of all Lilas, mm, Krishna and Vrindavan, mm, and the extension of that, Gore Lila. And all this, again, is totally charming, totally beautiful, but totally vulnerable, and totally empowered. Don't lose sight. Connect vulnerability with beauty, and beauty with empowerment. Krishna is the supremely attractive, the all-attractive, and therefore He's the all-vulnerable, the supremely vulnerable God. He's very open, totally open, visceral openness to the influence of his shakti for example. Chastised by Yeshoda crying, running from her, chastised by his friends while wrestling on a daily basis, chastised by Shirad and her servants, not allowed to enter into the Kunja. And he's crying, and he's begging, and he's imploring, asking forgiveness, asking another chance. He's totally wounded. Wounded by wrestling with his friends, wounded by separation from his devotees, wounded by the arrows of Cupid, wounded, wounded wounded, mm. woundedness, mm. vulnerability, but that creates charm and empowerment. And mm. As we already mentioned, on top of that, Krishna will, in his highest, wounded, vulnerable form, he will appear as Mahaprabhu in the highest peak of vulnerability and the highest ultimate summit, Zenith of empowerment. Mm. Friedrich Nietzsche will say, all that the things that do not kill me make me stronger." (laughs) So we could apply that here. Vulnerability is not killing you, so that will make you stronger. It will only kill your ego, and that's required. There's an interesting quote that I found some time ago from Jordan Peterson in this connection that I would like to share. He will say, "...being of any reasonable sort appears to require limitation. Perhaps This is because being requires becoming as well as mere static existence and to become is to become something more or at least something different. That is only possible for something limited or in relation to the unlimited. Someone who remains eternally vulnerable and open to further evolution. So again... In our Gaudiya Sampradaya, we are not only representing this principle, but even worshipping this principle as a person, as a divine person, as an ideal, as our God. So if we are worshipping that, representing that, how much, again, the question is, we as representatives of such an ideal, how much we are embodying this through our own conduct, and through our own disposition in relation to, again, vulnerability, its charm, it's empowerment. So let's pause for a minute. You can put pause to the video or something in every time that I share this question and take a time to meditate on that and then we can continue. <clears throat> so let's go to another section before finishing, going back to in this case toxic expressions of vulnerability, which in this case will we will refer to victim consciousness. So continue with our back and forth. This, I'm playing this a little bit here and there. Of, of contrasting. What's real vulnerability? What's its beauty? What's its charm? What's not that? Hmm? What's real, radical, beautiful vulnerability? What does it look like? how it does, what, What's not that? Let's go to another way to escape from actual vulnerability and its beauty and its empowerment, which is to express a false face of that. Hmm? We already spoke to- about toxic masculinity, about Remember, avoiding courage and showing a false sense of strength and expressing things like authoritarianism and, and so on. But also, we don't not only have toxic masculinity, we'd only have to, we also have toxic femininity, its counterpart. And in this case, toxic femininity will exhibit, among other features, something like victim consciousness, <coughs> which is the exact opposite of Krishna consciousness, by the way. <coughs> In, in, in a situation where we may not be the abused party, but actually the abusers, although we present as the abused ones. You know, instead of carrying our own cross mm, <clears throat> with full responsibility, instead of dealing with the tragic sense of life, as sometimes it's called, with dignity and courage, sometimes we become experts uh, of imposing tragedies on others mm, by us playing the victim ourselves, mm, or by our over-identifying as we already mentioned also, with, another, with other victims in an attempt to transfer their innocence to us. Now, I so much identify with what happened to you that it's an attempt of taking the innocence and making that ours. Mm. But we should not become victims, we should become victors. Mm. We should deal with life, as we already mentioned, heroically, without victim consciousness, with proper vulnerability characteristic of every hero. Mm. We all suffer, as as the saying says. We all suffer, but to be a victim is is a choice. Mm. Being a victim doesn't have to be with suffering. And playing the victim hasn't had to be with going through life. Mm. But of course, we live in times nowadays, mm. Kali Yuga, if you want to characterize it in that way. We live in times where the more victim we are the more moral superiority we achieve, at least in the eyes of others. Kali Yuga generally described as the age of quarrel and hypocrisy, but we can call also Kali Yuga as the age of victimization. <clears throat> so the more labels of oppression and victimhood one has accrued, the more one's views of reality is deemed to have authority and the more one is considered to have moral worth. Nowadays this type of thing you will find in the wokeism and this type of tendencies, postmodern modern uh, waves, if you will. Mm-hmm. So we should be careful about this. Because once you are, you are fully invested into that character, you are totally identified with your victim consciousness. When you, you create a, a self-justifying storyline, mm-hmm, especially one like victim consciousness, your emotional entrapment within that story quadruples, minimum. And again, victim consciousness is the opposite of Krishna consciousness.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And this can happen to us as individuals or by extension this can happen to us as a movement. We can share the symptoms of victim consciousness as a group even, Mm -hmm. as a sampradaya or again, beginning from the individual. And this can be promoted. Mm -hmm. So, victim consciousness again, which is the opposite of vulnerability. Victim consciousness is about Denying any personal responsibility mm. for what happens in our lives What vulnerability which may be in this case another way of speaking about? Krishna consciousness Vulnerability is about taking full responsibility mm. for who we are <clears throat> for the choices we are taking mm. for how we choose to relate to things and situations and stop pointing outside of ourselves mm. Mm. Indeed we may call this pointing outside Without responsibility, we would call it the satanic impulse sometimes. Always accusing others, always the enemies outside, but never ourselves. The very word reveals that, interestingly, where Satan means the accuser. And this is, of course, accusing others without any personal commitment is totally disempowering. Because in, in that situation, in victim consciousness, we need to establish how someone else is wrong to somehow prove ourselves to be right, or feel ourselves right. We already mentioned this idea, which is very weird. <clears throat> I need you to be wrong, and if I get to prove that you are wrong, then I'm right. Although I'm not right, but just by you being wrong, then I feel at least I'm right. And this is, all, this is the ego. Remember, the ego diverts your attention from anything that will ask you to change, and will go to even righteous causes, that asks others to change invariably. So, so that's how the ego works. As long as it doesn't ask me to change, I'm okay. And I will join any cause, quote-unquote righteous, that will demand other people to change, to adjust, to do the things that I need them to do so I don't have to leave my comfort zone and don't have to, to f- confront my, my dragons in the subconscious and my fears and grow as a person. Of course... When I'm saying this, I'm not demonizing anyone... ...because probably we are victims of victim consciousness... ...if you want to put it like that. So, always remember that to be patient with such people... ...even if you are the target of their judgment... ...if that happens to be the case... ...because again, on some level, that is how those people treat themselves... ...to begin with... ...or, to be more precise... (laughs) That's how we treat ourselves, because probably we are not totally free from that impulse yet. Mm -hmm. So let's remain humble and always do our homework first, before telling the world to do their homework. So again, we need radical vulnerability, Mm -hmm. a lot, to accept and embrace our mess, and imperfection, to bless our mess. Mm -hmm. We somehow need to get rid of the ego, this folk tale of the ego, that keeps insisting that we have to be perfect, we have to be, we should be, and so on. <laughs> or at least we need to show ourselves as perfect. Again, an actual perfect person is someone who can integrate imperfection, allow imperfection to nourish the equation. Someone who can consciously forgive, again, be compassionate, empathic, including perfection in himself and in others. Mm. But again, for this to happen, we need to allow ourselves to be radically radically vulnerable first, to acknowledge that there is such a thing as imperfection and weakness and woodenness, and then develop the capacity to integrate that, allow that, make that part of who we are. As Richard Rohr wisely put it once, he said, we grow spiritually much more by doing it wrong than by doing it right. Because sometimes we have this wrong idea, no? That, okay, my advancement and progress will be as perfect as I am, as, I, as, as nicely as I do everything, the more advancement I will make. Not necessarily. Probably you will grow more by, by doing it wrong and learning from your mistakes than by doing it right and probably becoming proud of that or becoming distracted. So, yeah, we have to embrace imperfection. That's, that's, that's the, the clever place where God has hidden holiness. <laughs> so the only the humble, only the vulnerable only the sincerely eager will be able to find it so radical invulnerability is inviting us to find Bhagavan and therefore to find ourselves as well we're in disorder, in imperfection I remember I gave a, lecture, a series of lectures in Karthik two years ago called Divine Imperfect, I think two years ago we're basically mentioning this. You can go there for further unfolding of this idea of vulnerability. How God can be found in disorder and imperfection. Srila Siddha Maharaj will say Krishna is hiding himself between a whole mass of imperfection in Krishna Lila.
1: <clears throat>
0: so we have to be able to find holiness in that. If we do not do so, if we do not develop that capacity, we will never be content in this life. We will always expecting. Uh, unrealistic uh, experiences of perfection again it's counterintuitive I know but that's how wisdom usually is disclosed in a counterintuitive way instead of evading reality through victim consciousness we are to fully embrace life things as they are with acceptance gratitude responsibility this is the Nishta the fixed fixedness that we need to achieve it in this particular time in our sampradaya, we'll say. A fixed commitment with our ideal, with all that Godi of is for us and all that it is, which generally is way more than what we can conceive. So interestingly, just to conclude, just as I mentioned, the idea of nishta and being committed, this brings us back to the third verse of Csiksastakam that we touched upon in the last class. Uh, And this verse portrays the stage of nishta. So let's go there for a moment before as a concluding section of our lecture today. Third verse of Shikshasana, which is Mahaprabhu's golden rule, which is all about vulnerability and empowerment. Mm -hmm. So I just mentioned Gaudiya Sampradaya and all of us as its members require further Nishta uh, as a family unit.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: More commitment, More And again, Nishtha doesn't mean perfectly fixed. Again, you can be imperfect and being wrong and getting Nishtha from that. More commitment, more stability, more capacity to be fixed on the essence of principles above details, on substance above form. Mm -hmm. So this Nishtha is portraying what we may call the golden rule of Mahaprabhu, probably his most important instruction repeated so many times even in Tritanya Charitambhita, Trinadapis taroda Tarurapis Gishnuna, Amaninava Nadeenakirtaniya Sadahari, where Mahaprabhu is inviting us, every member of his lineage to be more humble than a blade of grass, more tolerant than a tree, to offer respect to others and to never be willing to be respected oneself, never seek to be undespised. And in that way, you will be able to engage in Hari Kirtan constantly. So, this nishta is depicted, this fixedness, termination is depicted in this verse of Sikshastakam.
1: <coughs>
0: Speaking about strength and focus. So, this type of nishta could be related to the idea of empowerment. Kirtaniya Hari, permanently engaged in Hari Kirtan. That's pretty empowering, empowered idea. So interestingly, we can connect. Okay, this verse speaks about vulnerability and empowerment. The last line speaks about Nishta, empowerment. But the humility and the tolerance and the respect and the unassertiveness described the first three lines had to do with the vulnerability side of the verse. And they come before the stability described in the last line. So it's important to relate the two and see how the equation works. There's some sequence there. There's some initial vulnerability, initial openness and acceptance (laughs) of what we are talking, Then that's bringing forth renewed power, empowerment. So this third verse is all about vulnerability and empowerment, as you can see. But even if we want to add further context, we can even extend the same principle to the second verse of Sukshastik and the previous one. In the last line of this verse, Mahaprabhu concludes saying what? Mm-hmm. Mentioning that, acknowledging his lack of taste for Srinam, mm-hmm. but taking full responsibility for that, mm-hmm. by admitting that such a thing is because of his bad fortune, mm-hmm. an artas. Remember, an Ar- Arta means fortune, an Arta means bad fortune, or false sense of value. Mm-hmm. That's an artha, basically. So in other words, in this second verse of Mah- Mahaprabhu is showing us how we should fully embrace our frailty mm-hmm. and imperfection. He's acknowledging he's an artist. He's embracing them, if you will, with genuine honesty, genuine repentance, repentance willingness to change his mind. Mm-hmm. All of which is nothing but vulnerability.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He's, acknowledge- he's embracing the wound. And this will take us to a deeper expression of it. To a, to a form of empowerment, which is the next verse, which is a higher stage, and so on. Mm. And eventually that empowerment will invoke a higher form of vulnerability, and that, that higher vulnerability will invoke a further, deeper empowerment, and so on, ad infinitum. <clears throat> because nishta is not the goal of life, it's an in-between stage till the goal of prem. Mm. So, and going back to the third verse, interestingly, Krishna Das Kaviraj connects this third verse mm, of Sukshastaka and the quality of Nishta, with that attitude that will transport us finally to the stage of Prem, divine love. Mm. So in this way we find so much vulnerability and empowerment in this third verse. Mm. Uh, So we can conclude basically saying that if, Everything is augmenting as much as we advance. Vulnerability takes to a higher degree of empowerment and that to a higher degree of vulnerability. And Nishta shows that very clearly. Then the stage of prem in itself will be the place where the highest form of vulnerability and the highest form of empowerment will be found. Mm. It's not that it is devoid of that. It's not that this is only empowerment. Or only vulnerability. I remember Sigmund Freud will say we are never so vulnerable as when we love. <clears throat> of course he's not applying to the Godia notion of Prem, but it applies to that we can apply that to that. Apply that idea to Prem. We are not never so vulnerable as when we have attained that degree, that ultimate phase, as we already showed Krishna himself in his Lila Gurhari. So try to, to wrap that around your head somehow or other. <laughs> Let's try to do so. I'm trying myself. It's not so easy, but we are trying. To love means to be vulnerable. Mm. It's not separated to attain that goal. It's to run, to enter into some risk. Parakya bhav in Brach, that's pretty risky in the dynamics of the, of the Lila. And That's the height of love. Mm. But at the same time, all of that implies the highest form of empowerment. Srila Siddhar Maharaj will describe Prem as unlimited energy that you will receive to offer in service. So unlimited energy means empowerment. Of course, to offer in service, not for you. So again, Prem is empowerment. But as we mentioned, Prem is also vulnerability, the highest form. And of course, Prem is also depicted in the Sekshastakam, in the last two verses. So in this way, this whole Sekshastakam, which is the only uh, literary legacy, if you want to put it like that, that Mahāprabhu gave us, and that's more than enough, this whole Sikshastagam and the life of Mahāprabhu himself, could be seen as a permanent journey, through deeper and deeper levels of vulnerability and empowerment, one taking to another. And, and Sikshastagam as you know, each verse is describing all the different stages of our bhakti project. So we are therefore, therefore invited to conceive our journey through all the stages, as individuals on our journey as a family, in these same terms, in terms of vulnerability and empowerment. Each verse of Shikshasagam, each stage of bhakti speaks about the corresponding type of vulnerability and empowerment. So we are to conceive our whole life in these, two, in these two terms, if you will. And we can ask again, pause for a minute, and ask yourself where we are, both individually and collectively, in terms of vulnerability. An empowerment in our journey. as mm-hmm. individuals, as and pradaya. So let's conclude uh, with a few words, just conclusion section, and I'm wrapping up here before we turn to close this section and we will proceed with another topic in our next lecture. So yeah, we are fragile by nature, but that's not a problem. We try to make that clear. No? Do not deny your fragility, but do not see a problem in that, necessarily. Mm. To be fragile is not a problem, but actually that's the solution to everything. That we may still consider as problematic in our life, to all our other problems, is to acknowledge Mm. that to be fragile is not a problem. Mm. What makes a difference between these two is a proper embrace of vulnerability. If you embrace vulnerability from the proper place, vulnerability is no longer a problem, and all the other problems start to be properly solved as we have tried to describe in these two lectures so vulnerability is a virtue vulnerability in the words of Thomas Merton, he will say humility is a virtue not a neurosis so let's stand that to vulnerability vulnerability is a virtue not a neurosis it's not something to to embrace in, in a paranoid way it's something that we will have to embrace it accordingly to our present situation in a sustainable way, in a healthy way, in a discerning way, without exaggeration, nor without, without victim consciousness, without other toxic expressions of false vulnerability. But again, following the example <coughs> of Sriman Gaur Hari, his golden rule, this third verse of Sikshastagam, following the examples of whomever is embodying this teaching in a realistic way. <coughs> so for us to do so to embrace vulnerability from this proper place is to be realistic, to do so, is to be sober, is to be sensible to to who we are, instead of the the, the type of intoxication and madness, if you will, that comes from pretending the opposite, pretending that reality in us is something different from what we are. Vulnerability has to do with accepting who we are, what it is. Mm -hmm. So under the proper shelter in the proper company, vulnerability will bring forth, forth the greatest ex- ex- empowerment. <clears throat> Weakness will invoke the deepest in strength and courage. <laughs> Again, as counterintuitive as it may sound. Because we are Jivas, which means we are units of unlimited potential if exposed to the proper environment. So as dark as our potential may be, if it's expressed inaccurately, The same potential can take us to the brightest heights if it's expressed with intelligence, with sincerity in the context of radical vulnerability. So remember, bhakti is a gift, bhakti is not a a right. So this empowerment that we are talking about will descend upon us by its own will, we cannot force it, whenever it desires, however it desires, but especially when it sees our own authentic attitude mm, in the form of radical vulnerability, which is one of the most crucial phases of radical personalism, mm, of this whole mm, idea of radical personalism. So remember, radical personalism <clears throat> is nothing but a synonym for Gaudiya Vaishnavism. <laughs> so, Gaudiya Vaishnavism is radical personalism. Gaudiya Vaishnavism, therefore, includes radical vulnerability as one of its essential values. So let's, let's go. <laughs> let's conclude by properly honoring this vulnerability. It can come to an empowerment by the way which is to participate in our Stramprada in our school as committed members of this beautiful ideal and message. So some words today we want to share with you about continuing on radical vulnerability and the beauty and terror of inner nakedness. So, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I hope, with my words, I'm not creating any anxiety, excuse me, for that. If that happens, that's not the intention, but exactly the opposite, to create some deep healing and and, and reflection and and deepening of our connections as individuals, as group, as challenging as that that may be. Mm -hmm. A little homework, if you would like to, to, to extend throughout these days till our next meeting. Let's try to meditate on toxic versions of vulnerability, both in us as that we may perceive in the sampradaya, as a group. Let's try to meditate on that and, of course, to meditate about what we can do as individuals about it, starting at home. If there are any questions, we can continue talking through threads. And next... Tuesday, we will continue in one sense, of course, with the topics always connected. (laughs) But we will turn to the idea of individuation. Mm -hmm. Individuation, fostering our uniqueness in sacred service. Mm -hmm. So vulnerability, remember, had to do with embracing it first so we can acknowledge whatever we need to acknowledge in order to change and transform. So now we will go to different things from now on till the end of this series. <clears throat> that may be required for us to modify, to improve, to upgrade as individuals, as a group in the Gaudiya Sampradaya one of them being the notion of individuations, of learning to be individuals in the full sense of the term foster our uniqueness as persons of course in the context of Seva again as a crucial aspect of this radical personalist project to so see you next week for that cheman <coughs> mahapruki Jai, shri gode Sampradaya ki jai. harinam santiratan ki jay gaur bhakta bind ki jay gaur prem hari bol mancha kalpat rovyasha patitanam pavanebhyo Vashna namo namah anant goti vishna vrind ki gaur hari bol